Welcome to episode two of Ono Radio. On the show today, we have Angie Che, who is a designer, an illustrator, an artist, type designer. I'd say she is someone who is constantly making me think, I wish I could do that. I met Angie when I was teaching for the first time at Type and Duper West and quickly learned that although she was a student, I clearly had a lot to learn from her. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Angie Che. Okay, do you know why you're here, first of all? A little bit. Okay, uh, I'll give you a hint. It has a lot to do with our friend in common, Marty Grasser. Martin. <laughs> Martin. How how much do you love Marty? I love Mar- Marty is like family at this point. Um, I don't know how we would feel about that. You went to school together? We did. We went to Art Center together. Um, we started in the same term. Uh-huh. I think he was in my orientation group even. Whoa, whoa. Okay. So I get frequent FaceTime audios from Marty that just endlessly pump me up. Yes. He is <laughs> the best cheerleader in yeah. the world. Yeah. And at some point. I asked him, Marty, I can't possibly be the only person you're doing this to. So who else is getting the benefit of these amazing phone calls where you just speak about all of our virtues to us (laughs) and and tell us like how big time we could be going and stuff like that. And he's like, I talked to five people. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and you were on that list, which was totally not surprising to me because I know that he's mentioned you a ton because you're friends and uh, we both share the uh, just how impressed we are with your work and, and you as a designer and illustrator. So that wasn't surprising to me. And I was really stoked to know that we have this in common, this like insane cheerleader. I love that you had this rhetorical question for him and he's like yes the five people are (laughs) (laughs) oh it was not rhetorical at all like i i knew there must be an answer there but when he when he's having a call with you like what does marty as a cheerleader sound like to you probably the same as he sounds to you um i think there's a lot of like ha 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 oh stop please like (laughs) And then he just continues to go on and on. And, and I, I think at the beginning, you're like, um, is this real? Like, do you really believe this stuff? Because I don't. I have like major imposter syndrome. I don't know about you. Um, really? Yeah. I think, I think I've always been like, I don't know. I guess I'll do the best that I can on this and like uh-huh. see how it comes out. Um, uh-huh. But I think... By the end of the phone call or the end of the conversation with Marty, you believe it too because he <laughs> believes it so much. Totally. And you need totally. a person like that at like some point in your life. Because, oh my God. you know, it's like even your parents, I mean, my parents wouldn't do that, but even your parents <laughs> don't believe in you like, like that much. And I guess like even if you can't by the end of the conversation with marty you believe that you can and then you just you just do it 
and it works out. So you mentioned that your parents wouldn't would never pump you up like Marty does. Um, you know, my parents are I grew up in a very like like between two worlds almost. Um my parents were immigrants from Vietnam mm-hmm. and the way that they show love and support is really different than, you know, how an American parent might show love and support. It's a lot about expectations and sort of like mystic <laughs> like really not very like no like very um subdued like encouragement and praise because there's always a little bit further to go that makes sense but the love is communicated the love is communicated in have you eaten today okay. um do you need food? Are you staying warm? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's very much action-oriented. <laughs> pretty, pretty bare bones <laughs> stuff, I think. I, I think it's just like the communication is completely different in the culture at home versus, you know, outside. I think it's, it's really uncomfortable to say like, hey, I think you're amazing and I think you're going to be right. like really successful in the world it's more like um i don't know it's so hard to explain unless you're you're in it but little the the little angie the the younger version of yourself you were understanding that and and it was like received when you were a little kid no (laughs) no no i think i didn't really start realizing that like translation until very recently when I heard yeah when I hear stories about I think other um, first generation like Asian Americans um, and having those conversations like hey do your parents say I love you like Mm -hmm. straight up I love you Mm -hmm. like no they don't say I love you but they bring me like a Costco run every weekend Oh, you know, oh. like, well, that is love for <laughs> exactly. sure. I mean, I would get that. Absolutely. But uh, it kind of comes from this question. So my wife, Sadie, and I have done a little couples counseling. And there was a very interesting list of questions that the counselor just asked us all the way through. And one of the questions was, who looked at you uh, as a child? Who looked at you with a gleam in their eye? And Aww. For me, it was like, pff, there were gleams coming every direction, you know. <laughs> my my parents said, I love you a ton, and we were getting kiss on the cheek and tucked in every night, you know. It was physical. It was, you know, uh, communicated a lot of different ways. Um, so then when I think about that and I hear uh, stories of other parents not saying I love you or something like that, I'm like, whoa, what? Like, kids grow up that way you know obviously i've learned a lot about different upbringings in my adult life but that's such a striking thing like what sort of impact did that have or or uh did you even realize yeah i definitely did not realize until maybe i was a little bit older and maybe when i was sleeping over at a friend's house Mm -hmm. and there was like the whole bed bedtime routine mm-hmm. and the tucking in I didn't know what tucking in was like what what is that what's the point <laughs> of that um 
So not until I saw, or, you know, even on TV, it feels like, right. oh, that's just the TV world. Um, that's uh-huh. not real. But yeah. when you go to a sleepover and the parents are actually doing that, you're like, that's real. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a TV thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a TV thing. Um, so not until then did I realize, but I can't say that I was like affected by it in any negative way. I think it was more confusing, like, wh- like why? But there's two worlds, you know, like I grew up really tight with my cousins and mm-hmm. we all had that upbringing. So I didn't know, I didn't think I was the only one, like, for sure. It's not me. It's just, you know, Vietnamese people do it like this and American mm-hmm. people do it like this. So I think that helped me understand like the difference between the two things and, and not really saying this is right or wrong. Do you think that ties into imposter syndrome though, in a way, because my next question for you is like, how do you do with flattery or when someone like me or Marty is coming up to you and just saying, Oh my God, you are one of the best designers, illustrators, whatever that I know. And like, we adore everything about your work. Are you like, cool? Yeah. I like that. Or is it like, "Mm, I'd rather talk about something else. I, I think I believe you because I, I believe that you are smart and talented just as, as Marty is. Um, so I, I need to believe that what you're saying is the truth. (laughs) But for me, I'm working on receiving it in a way that that's not like dismissive or offensive to you, but also mm-hmm. not like self-deprecating. Um, right. And that's really hard. You almost want to have like a list of responses, but really all you need to say is like, thank you. You know, like, I think it's so hard. Maybe that's part of the, you know, growing up and not not hearing that that much, you know, praise like verbally. Mm-hmm. Um you almost want to say like oh, like no, you, if there's like a a thing or you sort of deny it and and make it feel like you're really humble and and you want right. to say like no, 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 I'm not like but really the best response is thank you so much. Because even if you don't believe it's true, someone's saying something nice about you and, and you should be grateful, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and you don't really have to be grateful. I'm totally uh, inclined to dismiss it too. And it is kind of like this cognitive or, or more analytical act than I would like a lot of times. Um, or you want to like then give them a compliment too. And then as soon as I start doing that, I feel like it's kind of too forced to feel real and stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's going to always be something that's like a little bit awkward or like a little bit uncomfortable, but I still think it's worth it to say. And the thing that I've been saying more lately than like, I'm impressed by you or your work is great is like, I believe in you. And Mm. then, um, Maybe that's something that's a little bit less, I don't know, like dependent on the day to day, like dependent on your output or whatever. But it's just like, I straight up believe in you. 
use me however you want. You know, I want to help you, whatever. Um, but for me, that's, uh, that's sometimes an easier kind of thing to say because it's not exactly like a compliment, but it still kind of is in a way. Yeah. When you, when you came out uh, of, I guess, high school, did you go to Art Center right out of high school? Yeah, I took a couple, I took a few months off. Um, actually, I wasn't really planning on going to Art Center. Uh, I grew up in Pasadena, so I really Beautiful. wanted to move away. I'm here in uh -huh. Pasadena right now, about like a mile or two from where I grew up. Uh huh. And um, I mean, I was just really looking forward to, to going away uh, somewhere far-ish, just like living on my own that was yeah. one of the main objectives for college and art center was right here um i had like been set up with this visual arts and design academy in my in my high school they provided mm -hmm. free art center at night classes um that so you were cranking as a teenager right. i mean i had the a crazy circumstance where i was being set up to go from high school to art center which which then was a little bit more rare people would go you know try other things and then build up a big portfolio and then right. apply to art center you know like a, a few years later or after another program mm -hmm. so i was really torn between two things one my parents expecting me to go to a uc Mm -hmm. um, and studying something that was like a very secure career choice. Yeah. And art center right here, which I was sort of like already all set up to go to mm -hmm. if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, so during those couple terms off, I went to PCC, which brought great shame to my family. Um, uh -huh. Pasadena it's, Community College, I'm it's guessing. It's a community college. Um, I just needed like a few more pieces in my portfolio to make it like a a big thing at Art Center is uh, the entry scholarship. So if uh -huh. you get that scholarship, you continue getting it every term. So uh -huh. you want to be really prepared and get as much as you can because it lasts you the entire time there. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just like a miscommunication between my parents and, and our larger family um, about like what my objective was. And I think uh -huh. on the, on paper, it's like, wow, she's going to community college. Like, Ugh. Um, it's a really bad thing. But I'm like, that Man, is I, such bullshit though. I know it's, it's really hard to explain to somebody um, I'm going to community college to then go to art school. It's all good. I'll be fine. <laughs> Well, just this idea that like going to be, uh, you were going to be an illustration major. That was the plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like a pretty secure job, like being an illustrator or just saying that you're like, that's such a commercial job, you know? Yeah. Like, like who, um, who really wants to become a, an illustrator only to kind of like work without any clients or anything like that. I don't know. That must be super uncommon, but just like being an illustrator is built on the pretense that you are operating as a member of a capitalist society and like <laughs> delivering goods to someone in exchange for 
pay. Like, yeah, I don't know. When I, when I talk to young people and they're scared about going to art school or something, I'm like, it's a pretty secure thing, in my opinion. Or why is it less secure than studying to be a, a, a scientist or something? I think it's the expo- like lack of exposure um, from a lot of people not really understanding the difference between like a drawing for pleasure or right. a hobby mm-hmm. um, and a drawing inside of a publication. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because sometimes they look exactly the same. Right. Um, it's the same drawing or it could yeah, be. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, even to this day, uh, there's a lot of people I encounter and it's like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like work because mm-hmm. you enjoy it. You can say mm-hmm. that ab- about anything, but, um, you know, it's the nature of, it's true that anybody can draw mm-hmm. and anyone can draw for pleasure, but some people who are really good at it get paid for it. And that's, I think it's, it's kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around when you're, yeah. when you're not in it. Yeah, and the, the idea that anybody can draw, it's like anyone can um, be a plumber. <laughs> you know, or or something like that. Yeah, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, but but how much experience do you have drawing, or or right. can you draw in a way that satisfies, like a brief? You know, mm-hmm, I think is mm-hmm. is such a, a different thing. Mm-hmm. But okay, so school and everything, but that kind of leads me to thinking about how you do a ton of drawing for pleasure. Yes, and I it. Do. it it doesn't even, from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't even seem like the goal there is to then, then make a drawing or make a painting and sell it, you know? Yeah. Like it's just you drawing for pleasure straight up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and does that occupy a like significant part of your day? Yeah, it does. It does because I've decided that that's what I want it to be. Uh Um, And I think there are times when I think I'm going to take it in another direction. I'm going to take it and throw it into, you know, the capitalist society Uh that Uh we live in and make it like work for me. It's Um, such a logical conclusion to come to. Totally. Yeah. But then when I sit down the next time that I, mm-hmm. after making a decision like that, mm-hmm. um, it feels really different. Really? And so I take it a few steps back. Yeah, it, it does feel really different when I think, um, what are the people that are going to see this? Like, what do they want? And uh-huh. what's going to sell? Like, like literally horizontal or vertical, which Ooh. one is going to sell better, Ooh. you know? Yeah. And then after, after oh. having all of that in my mind, I don't feel like it brings as much pleasure as it does when, when there's a possibility of, of no one seeing it at all mm-hmm. or whether or not it's going to sell or um, like, I don't have everyone else's thoughts. I mean, you have to experience this, like, scrolling through Instagram and seeing what's popular and then deciding what to do next based on that. It's a totally different feeling than 
hey, I have this idea and I'm just, I'm just going to do it and see how it comes out. Those are two processes for sure. Totally. It, it does suck. It's not fun. It, <laughs> it, 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 it sucks the fun out of it in a way. But I think that's part of it is to kind of be aware of it. And so whether it's a client or, or a potential customer or an algorithm or whatever, um, it's kind of like this using a muscle that turns off that part of your brain, mm-hmm. maybe. Because mm-hmm. what people want, like the answer to your question, I think, is what people want is what you are doing, you know, like what you're going to do anyway. They want your kind of decision making and and free will, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So portrait or landscape, like who cares? I don't know. Yeah, it's really just an internal dialogue. No one's actually asking like, hey, will you do a vertical like... Right, right. There's still no client. It's all imaginary. It's imaginary for sure. But it ruins it for you. It ruins it for me. It doesn't ruin it for me. I think it, it, I feel really young. I feel at at my infancy in this process of like sort of discovering what my work wants to look like Mm -hmm. and what I want to be doing for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've fallen quite in that like groove yet of yeah this is for sure um how i want it to be for a significant amount of time um and i think the other side of that is uh, the other part of my work life is i do have a client and i'm doing i'm doing a service for them Mm -hmm. and they very much drive the the creative Mm -hmm. in a big way so it's almost like I want to take myself out of that mindset and mm-hmm. um, I don't want this other thing to also feel like that. So okay. it might be a psychological thing, but I experience both of those things. And so one thing is I want to keep it a little bit to myself yeah. until I really, really know this is for sure who I am and who I want to be. Right. I totally understand, first of all. Uh, at the same time, like what you talked about, I don't know if I'm there doing what I want to be doing for a significant amount of time, like, like falling into your groove. Mm -hmm. What is a significant amount of time? I don't know. Years? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know either. Maybe it's like a thousand drawings that feel like, like it came from the same person uh-huh and it's it's a total invisible landmark that yeah. you don't know um but, that, but that's here, why here's what, sorry go ahead oh I'm, i was just gonna say here's what my in my process is how i started mm-hmm. hey i have a bunch of paper from art school still uh-huh. <laughs> i know people i know people know what this this feels like you have like pads and pads of papers, like expensive art papers and a drawer of art supplies. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've been sitting there for years. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started for me. I'm going to use this stuff. I'm just going to like get rid of it in a really like experimental, playful way. Yeah. I'm still, I still feel like I'm in that because I'm literally using this, the same bottle of ink <laughs> that will never empty. It's a bottomless 
bottle you of had sumi. so much <laughs> you gotta stop buying art supplies at costco i think is the thing there <laughs> but isn't it all when it's all so like nebulous and kind of arbitrary like first of all i think that's the same for absolutely everyone like we're always going to feel like, yeah, we're not kind of quite doing that thing and we haven't quite figured it out because, I mean, as soon as you figure it out, like you're dead, right? There's no, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's no like interesting struggle or kind of chase happening there that's keeping you interested and engaged. So isn't it all kind of bullshit? Also, your style is so tight. Like it's such a... <laughs> fully conceived idea that it from an outsider's perspective again it feels concrete and real yeah. and yeah. and a thing you know that yeah. feels distinctly you distinctly ownable and done you know like when people say that what does that mean to you i don't know I wish I could see it from your eyes yeah. because when I look at it, I see disparities and I see inconsistencies and that's a trap that I've fallen into. What do you mean? It's like the perfectionism trap mm -hmm. of it has to all look, I don't know, like the same every single time mm -hmm. and that's boring i mean i've seen that right um and that's boring but i think i just i need to come to terms and settle in um i've had this a, a long time like art teachers in at art center like would give me this critique um like i would be drawing and it was like a big long drawing and something would happen towards the end and he's like, this this little part here is like really interesting. Like, how did you end up drawing a tooth? And I'm like, oh, my pen slipped. <laughs> and it, instead of a circle, it became a tooth because that's like the closest shape I could think of. It's uh -huh. like, well, that's like the part that I'm really interested in looking uh -huh. at. I'm like, oh, the mistake part? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really have a struggle with like, control versus yeah. like uh the serendipity and in, in the process of of making that's um, a, that's all classic art school stuff though <laughs> because i and i know from teaching in art school when a student comes in like i i kind of see you as sometimes we would have a student where they would kind of get it from mm -hmm. an early stage and then it's kind of like okay well if this person is getting it and understanding a lot of these ideas already what can we do to basically make them uncomfortable again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and a lot of times if people had a really refined or tight style it would be like okay loosen up and like experiment more and, and embrace a little bit more chaos so i wonder if that's what was happening there or were you absolutely really yeah for sure I am very uncomfortable with like chaos or um, disorder, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
my drawings are pretty planned out. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can. And the funny thing was, in preparation for talking to you, of course, I was doing the deep dive uh, on your Instagram and going all the way back to the beginning. This is as rigorous as my research for podcast <laughs> <laughs> guest goes. But I went back to like the first drawing or whatever. And I actually will admit there are some things that I see a lot. It was like from five years ago, maybe something like that. And it, it has evolved in a way. Um, but the evolution is kind of, it's not a shift. It's just kind of a refinement of the mm -hmm. thing. I, I think your characters have gotten a little bit more lifelike. You seem to like be depending less, a little bit less on like stylistic lips or noses or eyes and things like that. And kind of more just looking at light and shadows. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's not a strong deviation from <laughs> where you are for being five years ago and, mm -hmm. and and I don't mean that as a dig is to say like you're not changing things up uh, a lot I was like oh my god I love this that and, and it just seems so Angie that it's yeah. like like this is the thing so that's why I'm so surprised to hear you say you're finding it difficult to get into a groove because it, to me it's so obvious that you're there a shallow groove. I feel a shallow <laughs> groove there. Okay, you also talked about how you have client work, real work that's paying the bills, maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going on alongside um, your your figure drawing and illustrations, right? Yeah, I do, and, and that really affords me like the the ability to say I don't need to take this anywhere maybe that's like the pressure that I don't feel mm. um you know what I mean yeah totally yeah if you have your bills paid for mm -hmm. um then like really <laughs> it doesn't matter there's no yeah. timeline and a lot of stuff happens because of that pressure I think oh yeah for sure so what does that design work look like right now that's paying the bills um I'm still doing quite a bit of branding with um, my husband. Well, I guess whoever is listening to this that I haven't told, we got married last year. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to make Sorry, an friends. announcement. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got married quietly? Like, yeah, we did a little Good. like COVID court wedding. Oh, love it. Very, very smart. As someone who had the big wedding, which was totally fun, and I I loved our wedding. God, what a nightmare that was. <laughs> just the planning and the money and everything was just like a stress fest. And I didn't do any of it. Like Sadie did basically <laughs> everything. I was consulted on a few decisions and... um still i was just completely freaking out so i think you did a smart thing there but you're doing the uh marriage and business partnership thing with numbers yes yes um it's working out it's yeah. it's hard because we never stop like thinking about the work yeah 
Um, so he has a background in graphic design. He's now teaching at Art Center, which is why we moved back here. Right. A month or two before COVID hit. So oh. <laughs> he got to teach about four or five weeks in person, and then it all went on Zoom. I am so, uh, teaching over <laughs> Zoom is so hard. My heart goes out to Roy. That is yeah. tough. Yeah. You guys should connect on that, actually. I think it, it's good because there's everybody's going through something, and it's well, going to be going for a little while longer. I would just tell him to stop. I would just say, <laughs> get, get out of there, man. Just, just run, move out of Pasadena and just... <laughs> Get out of the really. Um, it, it was uh, such a hard transition, and because everyone was making it at the same time, it was just like a okay, get on board kind of thing. Some people yeah. were doing it really, really well, but for me, it, it essentially removed every reason I mm-hmm. was uh, a teacher in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um, which is basically to be an extremely, extremely low-level stand-up comedian, you know? Like, how are... When you can't tell if any of your jokes are landing (laughs) over Zoom... Yes, he has the exact same thought. Like, I made a joke today, but I couldn't tell if they're... Because everyone's on mute. Right. And and you want to know, like... Should I be, make more jokes? Should <laughs> should I ne- never make a joke? Like the engagement is really awkward. Yeah. Um, and you need that in a classroom. You, you need You got to have it and you have to have the students like bonding with each other. Yeah. I think a huge part of Okay, we should talk uh, really quickly <laughs> just a, uh, about Type West or or Type of Cooper West, which is yeah, what it was yeah. called when you were there and th- and that's how we originally met and i was um brought on to teach the third term Uh um but we were we would talk at that time about how the reason we were doing it in real life is because you can't replicate the experience online and to get a class to really bond is kind of the thing you're going for as a teacher because then it shifts from being like a competition among students into a just being really inspired by your fellow students and like seeing the things they do and uh, like either you're kind of one-upping it but like in a chill way and not a mean way you know like it's Mm -hmm. just it's just an encouraging environment and uh, we would say yeah, there are people that were trying to replicate that experience, you know, with Skillshare or, or those sorts of things, online teaching. But it's uh, it's just not possible. But then when everything switched to online, um, I think for a lot of people, they found out that it is kind of possible. It's just harder or, or maybe mm-hmm. less intuitive and maybe a little bit um, harder on the teachers. And for some reasons maybe easier on the students because you know they don't have to go anywhere obviously but then they also can get their feedback in a way like we started marking up proofs and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. giving them the actual pdfs of everything after we go through so on some time uh, in some ways it's like huh maybe that's like a, a kind of better teaching experience 
I don't know, like everyone has access to everyone else's marked up proofs sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what did you find in your experience um, at Type at Cooper West compared to kind of what you expected it to be? Wow, I didn't know what to expect for sure. I was so intimidated coming in because, you know, when you get that email with your classmates all listed and you see like Damon Steyer, like, <laughs> yeah, who's okay, a sign painter, that famous person that has like a documentary <laughs> basically about him and how he draws letters for a living. <laughs> Just that. Okay, cool. Um, but who was, like, who was late to every class, by the way. <laughs> Hate to put you on blast there, Damon. <laughs> he, but he's like the most down-to-earth person totally. ever. Totally. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, but I mean, it was so rewarding. I made like, Shannon is now like one of my best friends. Uh-huh, yep. I draw with her every weekend. Mm-hmm. And... If that was the only thing I got out of it, I would be like pretty stoked. Totally. But actually, I'm pretty. We're still pretty close, like all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a re- it's a really tight class, and it was a small class too because it was the first one. Not a lot of people had heard about it yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I mean I didn't really like do that much research into type at Cooper East. Uh huh. And it ended up being completely different anyway. Right. So, um, I think, well, you know, we had a little bit of a switch up. Yeah, teacher switch. And it was a little bit rocky for a while. Um, but I think when you all came in that third term, it was like bonding at another level. Uh huh. And we yeah. were all in it together. Like, including you and Frank and Tanya. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, it was the thing you kind of always hope for as a teacher. And since that was kind of my first teaching experience, too, um, I didn't know how unpredictable that bonding is, you know? It's so helpful, and you're always going for it, but it's completely out of your control and, and kind of impossible to predict. Maybe not totally out of your control as a teacher. Like, I think there are things that you can do to get people kind of in the mix with each other. But for the most part, uh, especially in a small group, I think it can either work or like it doesn't work. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. like little clicks can form uh, if the class is kind of big enough. But uh, it was just so awesome to see that I didn't even know how special it was at that time and then your project in that class and all your specimens and everything around it now when I look back and I kind of see uh it it still feels very you just like a kind of different facet uh compared to you know the illustration stuff which I've seen a lot more of from you um but now how do you see type and illustration working. Are you building custom typefaces for clients or anything like that? Um, we've done a few custom word marks uh-huh. um, and we're sort of like dipping a toe into, hey, and if you want a custom typeface, yeah. um, I think 
there's still a bit of a like leap of faith in that process Mm -hmm. saying like okay we will commit this amount of money and this amount of time to do that a leap of faith on whose part on your part on on the client on both (laughs) both parties um i think it's a little bit hard to see that far into the future i mean you work super fast um i don't think i could work as fast as you um to like complete a custom typeface so when clients see that type of timeline especially within the industry that we're working um in mainly in branding. tech and uh, yeah, oh, okay. branding and yeah like software companies uh-huh. there are um expectations around a branding project takes this amount of time then we'll be done and then we're going to move to the next stage mm-hmm. and when you throw a custom typeface into the mix that really extends the timeline yeah for sure um so i think we'll get there but in regards to like how things are coming together i i sort of struggle with do i force everything to come into the same world like right can i push type design and illustration into my graphic design practice um the answer i think i've found is i can't force it to be Uh but if there's an opportunity for it i want to be prepared to do it right so i continue to do things separately until that one client says i want all of it uh-huh. And and we can do that. So, but but that has happened before. I'm thinking uh, about uh, some like retirement planning work you did or something. You know what I'm talking? North yeah, Star. North Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that awesome. was so awesome. Oh my yeah. god, so good to see those two things kind of side by side and with the colors and everything, just all really making sense visually. Yeah. And having it be like very, uh, I, I would say like unusual in that industry. Yeah, for sure. North Star was like a dream client and so brave, so trusting. We got to do custom word mark, illustration, product, which Roy has a lot of experience in. Mm-hmm. And like art direction for a photo shoot with an amazing photographer. Ooh, scary. Everything. Yeah, very scary, but fun because um, because they were so open-minded and brave. And they actually pushed us to go outside of the tech world uh-huh. to look for inspiration, which is like one of our things is we're not going to look at where you're going to be like situated solely. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the past. We're going to look at art and different facets of culture to uh-huh. then pull into the branding project. So, yeah. I I love that. It makes all the sense in the world to me to hear that. I feel like I've uh, said kind of similar things to clients that have like scared them away before. <laughs> like like I've said, um, you know, I think it's really important to start with uh, just looking at the genre all together, the history of the genre, because everyone is kind of coming in. My experience is all working with custom typefaces. So everyone... Uh, is pretty much on board with like a low contrast grotesque, something like mm-hmm. that. So I'd be like, okay, great. Let's 
let's go back in time and look at the history and then start drawing and start sketching and see what happens there. And I fairly recently got rejected because someone's like, <laughs> it's kind of not what we're looking for to start with sketches. And it's kind of more of a thing that we would want to kind of base this in like a historical typeface. And uh, I was like, thank you for telling me. Like, that's a, <laughs> that's a really, really good, legitimate reason to not work with me for yeah. sure. And, yeah. and I was kind of um, happy to, to lose that gig in a way. Yeah. It, it yeah. just kind of seemed like a red flag. When you say that to clients, are they like, okay, tight, we're on board with that? Or has it ever been met in a weird way? Um, I'm trying to think if it's ever been like received negatively. I can't think of a circumstance. I mean, there are there are times when people want to see an example of the idea that you're talking about already mm -hmm. executed successfully. Yeah. Yeah. And that sometimes is impossible, totally. you know, um, that, I mean, you kind of just got to like sell it with a big smile and a lot of confidence in your voice to be reassuring <laughs> and saying like, we, I haven't seen it. Maybe that's a good thing uh -huh. because everyone wants something unique and original. Yeah. But believe me, we can do it. Right. And we can make it really good. And if we can't, there, here's the backup. Oh, you have the plan B in place. <laughs> that, that's so smart. So many times when I'm talking to people that uh, are clearly handling the business side of things far better than I ever will, I'm just blown away by simple solutions like that. That's just like hey, don't worry, we have a safety net. So then you actually can get them behind sort of an idea that's perhaps a little riskier. Yeah. Options. Options is the key to success. <laughs> but you don't, it's, it's not really linear though, because if you give too many, then it's chaos. And, yeah. and if they're I don't know. I, I so am uh, intrigued by the providing one option um, solution, but it hasn't ever worked for me in the past. Yeah, there is um, an exercise. I reference this so much and I have no idea where it comes from. So I need to look it up at some point, but it's basically presenting the process or presenting your concept in a way that... Um, Makes the client realize that it is the only solution. The Paul Rand method, yeah. Paul Rand, thank you. Yeah. So that can be sort of applied in a lot of ways. And actually, sometimes it backfires. But yeah. you have to make your plan Bs like good enough for you to be happy with and be able to live with. Right. Um, so that you can take the risk and still be okay if it doesn't come out that way. Yeah. Um, I remember because we've worked on a couple of projects since uh, having you as a student and stuff, which I still just find it a little bit uncomfortable to say because that's not at all how I think about like our relationship now. But when we were on these projects, 
you ended up not taking one of them and the way you put it just sounded so intelligent to me it was basically something like yeah we we really only take projects that we can uh that we're confident we can be successful in (laughs) 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 and and it was kind of like a you said it I think a little bit more articulately than that, because when you said it, it was like not a laughable statement at all. It was just <laughs> obvious and and kind of like matter of fact. But I was like, oh, my God, good idea. Just kind of ask yourself not whether or not you need this job or whether or not it's a cool client or a cool space, whatever it may be, but just like are you going to be successful in this project? Yes. I don't know. Is that something that you and Roy talk about? For sure. We, if it's the same, the one that I'm thinking Probably. you're referencing, yeah, it, it must be. Um, we always think if we see a clear, not not completely clear, but a pretty clear road to success, meaning... Are the partners um, are the partners the right type of people to work with? Is the project impactful enough to actually make a difference in the Meaning, world? Uh, no, in within the company or <laughs> no, you know, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because sometimes it's like one thing, uh-huh. like one tiny little thing in right. a huge ecosystem, mm-hmm. and. I think a lot of pressure can be put on the one thing without touching anything else. Uh-huh. It's impossible to be successful at, at your job. Would, so, an, would an example of that mean like doing a uh, a poster for an event at Facebook or something like that? Is that the kind of thing you're thinking of? I'm thinking more along the lines of branding, uh-huh. specifically with this project. Um we have the ability to touch and affect a lot of things, the type, the color, mm-hmm. illustration, if there is, and uh-huh. the logo. Mm-hmm. So if someone's coming to us and saying, hey, can you just um, redesign all our icons or just redesign our logo only? Uh-huh. Um, we don't really see a clear path to success because we're we're working within a system that we have not designed. Right. And sometimes to start a logo with all this other baggage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um it can be a really difficult challenge. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful. It just means it might be a very like rough process to well, get there on one hand it totally makes sense on the other hand like wouldn't you say that the constraints could make it easier to find a path to success in or is it just a matter of uh it not kind of being uh maybe to your taste or to how you would have done it so it's not really work that you want to put into your portfolio later on and and for that reason it's not worth investing your time into yeah it's true it really it really depends um on each project it can be a matter of taste or it can also be 
that we wish we could do the other things. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. it, it makes it really, really rewarding to be able to put the whole thing together. Totally. So in, in some cases, you want to say no, sadly, to some of those projects, even though you think you can do it. Because if you say no to this one, it might mean the next one that comes, you'll get to do everything. It could be a North Star type thing. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, so I think that's pretty much what I wanted to chat with you about. Uh, I'm curious, one last tiny question is, how much work are you doing that you don't show anyone or talk about to anyone? So much. <laughs> really? <laughs> We are so bad at presenting our work to the world. Um, we are so lucky that we have a huge network. James Edmondson, Martin Grasser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we have such good friends who trust us enough to refer us, which is, you know, an amazing way to get work because... Isn't that you, everything? Yeah. You totally. connect on so many different levels um and there are other ways that we've gotten work that are just like completely surprising and you know through instagram uh-huh which maybe is normal now but to me it feels like really strange i think um, it and is they work out just great i think it is kind of weird still to get kind of uh requests only through instagram and it's weird because the type foundry stuff is all about kind of loose relationships i think and someone mm -hmm. knowing your stuff somehow or following you and talking to a friend about it like the whole goal is to just kind of be in the conversation you know loosely uh, yeah. among tons and tons of people like that's how i think font sales tend to happen over a long period of time it's never going to be a thing like uh the sort of ads on instagram that uh, my wife responds to when uh she's looking at um whatever things she's looking at for type foundries, it's like this slow thing that uh, eventually, like years later, might result in a license. But then yeah. conversely, for design studios doing client work, it's all about like the, we worked with these people, they were awesome, that's how we know that you should work with them too. Or I am your friend that I <laughs> went to school with you <laughs> and I know how good you are and I've seen like the insider's point of view on all this stuff. And so that's why I feel like recommending you for this project is going to make me look good. Yeah. And that makes the process like more rewarding because it's a win-win-win and you get to like get your friends paid, which is yeah. awesome, an awesome yeah. feeling. Yeah. It, th isn't that the best? God. Um, and you get like a dinner out of it. Ooh, <laughs> very professional, very sweet move there. Uh, yeah, I will say to bring it full circle back to our friend, Marty was a huge reason that this podcast began. Nice. And uh, he was encouraging me to do this for a long time. So that's why I thought that uh, you would be the ideal 
first real guests on the thing. And the hilarious thing to me is that after I showed Marty episode one, he is like, I love it. It's fantastic. Five exclamation points. I'll sponsor you. Studio Makoko for all your uh, graphic design branding needs. <laughs> and I'm like, Marty, you can't sponsor the podcast if you're a graphic design agency yourself. Like, it's only designers that are going to be listening to it. But nonetheless, um, I think everyone needs a, a, a Marty in their life. And I'm so glad that you have one because... I know there's no one more deserving than you. So thank you so much for uh, being the first guest on the show. I am so honored. I can't believe I'm the first guest. I did not know that. (laughs) Of course. But it feels great. I'm so happy um, for you. And I love that Martin is behind all of this because I'm not even surprised. Oh, yeah. Makes all the sense in the world. Okay. (laughs) I'll talk to you soon, Angie. Thanks. Oh, I want to thank Angie again for jumping on as our first guest. I don't know if we uncovered exactly what makes her tick as a creative, but I was shocked to learn that she mentioned imposter syndrome, and it just goes to show you that anyone can really deal with that. If you'd like to follow Angie's work on Instagram, she is that's okay too. Her portraits, which are incredibly beautiful, are on at Pretty Okay Portraits, and her and her husband's design studio is at by underscore numbers, and they're doing really top-notch design work around branding. Today's episode features music by Wolfpeck, the world's greatest and funkiest rhythm section. If you're enjoying what we're cooking up here on Ono Radio, please don't tell anyone. Don't leave us a good review, and by all means, don't post anything about it. It's just too soon, frankly. Keep it to yourself. I'll let you know if and when that changes. As always, if you're looking for fonts, head over to onotype.co, and thanks for listening.